The people you love weren't algebra to be calculated, subtracted, or held at arm's length across a decimal point. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we talk all things audiobooks, and we are well into September now. We've been talking many audiobook things with myself, Ramia Amadin. I'm your host, with co-host Jacob Shymansky. Hey, Rams. Hello. Technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And I didn't pick today's quote. You did, Jacob. So, where's it from? This one is from The Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly something. Forget her name. <laughs> Holly Jackson? <laughs> Holly Jackson, thank you. Did and, you just like spin the wheel and pick this book? <laughs> uh, I don't reveal my secrets on how I do this. Okay. okay, But no, I like this quote because it took me back to a debate I had with a roommate like five years ago mm. that really stuck in my mind. This debate lasted like two weeks, okay? Basically, I was kind of mad at him because he kept psychoanalyzing people. <laughs> and I think what I get from this quote is telling people to... Don't analyze people like Are that. Are you serious? That's the way I interpret if this If I quote. had known this context beforehand, I would have vetoed this quote. <laughs> Why? Is it because <laughs> you psychoanalyze people all the time? Absolutely, all the time. You should see my TikTok feed. Oh, my God. Okay, listen. I I think that psychoanalyzing people is kind of rude. I mean, I do it with the intention of empathy, okay? So maybe it's not necessarily psychoanalyzing, but it's that there are reasons behind the things that may trigger us or trigger them, or put us in places where we may not be as empathetic. So the way that I get to the empathy side of it is to say, like, these may be the reasons why. Is that fair? Could it be fair? Did this come up in your debate with your roommate? Right. It's coming from a good place. Mm. I understand that. I think that maybe it's not always your place to to analyze someone like that and maybe somebody doesn't want to be analyzed like that mm. it doesn't even matter if you're right or not it's just like i just want you to be here for me you don't need to tell me why i'm eating two tubs of my ice cream a day like <laughs> okay like you don't need no to judgment, psycho- please. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes non-judgmental psychoanalogy is fine <laughs> analysis is fine <laughs> no but no that's that's very fair and especially nowadays the way we kind of just like um ether diagnose people and throw around words that are really like medical or psychiatrical. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just saying like a blanket statement, like, "Oh yeah, that dude. Yeah, he's a narcissist. Exactly. Or, like that guy's a psychopath. Oh yeah, no. Like we can't he's do that. it's never that simple, right? Yeah. No, of course. All right, fine. All right, good context for this quote and mm-hmm. the book. Let's uh, look at the Sila homepage before we go any further. We still have an hour-ish of discussion, so before we forget, this is from the Center for Equitable Library Access, which you can visit at celalibrary.ca. Glance at the homepage. Three featured titles that are still up there are The Whispers by Ashley Audrain, Suspense and Thrillers. If you still haven't read it, go back, check our review from early September episodes, and uh, then read the book because it's so good. The Wager by David Graham, historical title. And the last one is The Misses by E.L. James, and that's a romance, which brings me back to some of the taboo chats we had last time. On today's episode, we actually have two guests joining us, two avid readers. They're going to give us some of their... um, Book reading habits, some recommendations, reading adventures, and we will get to the first one now. Mm -hmm. First coming up is Karen McGee, a content development specialist at AMI, longtime colleague of Ramya and I's. Karen, how's it going? 
Luke. It's going very well. Thank you, guys. I love nothing more than talking about books. Psychoanalysis, did you have anything pressing you wanted to add to that? Comment? I'm still a little shook that apparently it's not good to eat two tubs of ice cream in a day. <laughs> I got stuck But on no that. one's judging you. Yeah, we no, don't need to unpack that Not you that guys. No. We don't need no. to unpack I'm fine. I'm perfectly wait, wait. fine. Wait, wait. What are the flavors? No, I'm kidding. No, chocolate chip <laughs> cookie dough. Always has to be chocolate chip cookie dough. And I've gotten into cherry. The cherry with oh, the real cherries no, I'm in it. Oh, judging a little. A little. Oh. Oh, that's okay. I'd like to start us off with a new segment we want to try. I'm calling this one Rapid Fire Reviews. I was pretty happy that I nice. came up with this one. one. Okay. Yep. Here are the rules, Karen. You're a first participant. You get 10 seconds to review five books. 10 seconds each. We give you the name of the book and the author, and you give us a really quick review. 10 seconds, and then a bell goes off, and we move on to the next book. We do that five times. After we finish that, you get to pick one of the books in that list of five, which you provided to us before the show, and you get to elaborate on that title and uh, give us your proper review. Sounds good. Sounds Can't good? wait. Are you nervous? Yep. You don't sound nervous well, I, at all. I'm, I'm nervous about good. 10 seconds because oh. 10 seconds is not a long time. It's not. And mm-hmm. I tend to talk fast. Yeah. Well, that's your advantage, though. Yeah, but then can people understand me. That's kind of important, too. <laughs> we'll, break it th- we'll break that down later. All right. Slow it down. <laughs> All right. First title is It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. Did not enjoy this one. I was surprised because I'd heard a lot of great things. I don't know what I didn't like about it, but I probably won't read the second book in the series, which is odd for me because I like to read an entire series. I'm a completist. Oh, okay. What We Find by Robin Carr, Sullivan's Crossing series. Love the series from CTV. Anything starring Scott Sullivan I will watch, but I like to read the book first. Um... Loved it. Robin Carr also did the Virgin River series. Very light romance. In- Dang it. That's all the time you get. Oh. <laughs> all right, next one. The School for Good and Evil by Soman Shemaini. So highly recommend. Um, aimed at kids about 13 years age, I would say. Recommended by my 10-year-old neighbor so I'd have something to talk with her about. She's a very voracious reader, and she came to visit me this summer a lot. <laughs> I love that got <laughs> real <is> anecdotal. <laughs> okay. Love that. So much to say, so little time. <laughs> and you had to move on. This is live radio vibes. Okay, Big Bad by Lily Anderson. Okay, this is from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe. You know how I feel about that. So, a 10 out of 10, highly recommend. There's a second book in the series I haven't read yet. If you love Buffy, this is a great book to read. Nice. That was a full review right yeah, there. Yeah, that wow. was good. Oh, I'm that exhausted. Fantastic. You have to know her to know why she recommended it. That was a nice one. Okay. All right, all right. Last one. The Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. Loved this book so much. Gave me some vibes like Serial the Podcast, uh, Good Murder Mystery Solving by a young person. Um, excellent, excellent book. It's a seven-part series. And you said excellent twice. You sure you didn't want to economize those words? Mm. No, it, it was, was I. Excellent. Rookie mistake. It was, it was, no, no. I would not waste a word. Like that, this was an important word to put in. Okay, twice. <laughs> yeah. Excellent squared. That's, that's less syllables for next time. I need you to edit for me. There we go. Not a no chance. No way. <laughs> no way. Okay. I feel like we could get into all five of these books just because the review, the 10 second reviews were so good. Okay, where do you want to start? Should Let's do the Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one I read most recently. Um, I love a good murder book. Started reading Nancy Drew books when I was a kid, so a mer- mystery book. Um, a lot of my list were young adult books I found. I found I've been drawn to those recently because the young adult literature is so good right now. 
Um, this it's so falls... everywhere right now, Karen. Like, what isn't oh. young adult literature anymore? Well, I'm looking at this, and you know, um, the School for Good and Evil is a series on Netflix. Um, the Good Girl's Guide to Murder um, is also a series. It's also a coming out as a series, I believe, with Netflix. It might be Hulu, so don't quote me on that one. Hmm. Um, I loved it. It followed a young woman named Pippa, who, hey, I love that name. And it's all told from her point of view. She's in high school senior writing her thesis. Um, Cause it's not called a thesis, it's called a capstone project. Um, and she's basically looking to, into what happened with this murder that happened five years ago. Um, a young popular girl was murdered and the person who um, admitted to doing the murder, there was some questions whether or not he did it, um, was found dead with a, he texted his dad to say that he'd done it. I'm not giving away the plot. This is all like in the first chapter. It is so excellent that it's one of those books I caught myself holding my breath while I was reading. As the, some of the plot twists in this. Like, I cannot say enough good things. Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, I like when we start drawing the connections between TV and books and movies and whatever because the attention span things comes up too, right? Like, how long can we right. uh, digest a book for? You know, and YA just makes me think that automatically, like binge series binge this binge that attitude did any other book from uh these five hit that mark too um i really liked big bad and i know everybody's gonna roll their eyes when i say it's a buffy thing but it, it stayed in the buffy universe with a lot of that same tone of that sarcastic wit that i like um so you know lowbrow humor lowbrow humor um so sarcasm <laughs> um and you know I, I love that that feel from the original series um this takes place, um, Willow, <laughs> you guys are rolling your eyes, I can feel it. <laughs> Will Willow's had a baby, and this is the story told from her daughter's point of view, and sort of what's still happening in the area around Sunnydale. And it, again, I whipped through that book because I wanted to see what was happening on the next page. I found, um, one of the other books I mentioned, It Ends With Us, it took me a long time to read it because I found it dragged for me. Okay, you tried to bring repetitive. this up before we started mm -hmm. taping. Somebody cuts yeah. you off completely. Tell us everything. I did not enjoy It Ends With Us. And it was on like everybody's like must read list, like beach summer list. And I don't know if it's the violence against women that was in it. And I understand, like I read, I always read epilogues and prologues of books because I want to understand what's going on in the mm -hmm. writer's head. Um, I understand why it was an important book for her to write for her. I understand why it's an important book for some women to read. It just, it just didn't flow right with me or something. Um, mm. Was this your first I, Colleen book? Colleen Hoover? Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was. Okay. Is that my problem? I should no, try other ones? No, like I'm just curious now if you would get into any of her other books at all because they all have very um, similar approaches to topics that can be kind of problematic. You know, there are a lot of books that are that read like they're very important and are saying a very good yep. message that needs to be said, mm -hmm. but they're also at the same time not particularly enjoyable. Yeah. Which all comes down to your intentions on like what you want out of a read. Like sometimes you don't want to to put yourself through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't mind a book with a message, and maybe it's maybe I think you might be onto something, Jacob, because I didn't expect it to be a book with a message. I looked at it like everybody's like, this is like a beach read. I wouldn't read this book and go, that's something I want to read in a beach. Mm. Um, I'm also like I would never read Fifty Shades of Grey. I do not did not enjoy the Twilight series, although I did read every single book because I kept hoping it would get better because so many people love that series. And I don't know if it's the, I don't want to say the manipulation of women or that sort of thing. I've tended to be more drawn to um, books that have strong 
women characters. Yeah. And yes, it ends with us. That's, I mean, a lot of people have read it. It, it it's ends up there. But, you know, I'd rather have a strong, my cat's going to walk across my keyboard and shut us off in a second. Um, the, um, it, our, it, sorry, if you hear the cat rubbing against me. Um, the, the, the female character is a weak person. Yeah. Always rubs me the wrong way. And I don't know whether that's just me. Um, well, it's I challenging. Get the, it I, is. I, but, but Gone Girl, I loved. Yeah. No, but that's that was like a fiercely different book, I think. But yeah. uh, at least in the way that the approach was. Did you like it? Like we we didn't. I didn't get your answer because I us. was cut off. It ends with us. Felt very uncomfortable to read. Um, and Colleen Hoover, like I said, there are several books I read by her. Verity was another one. Uh, where I felt very uncomfortable through the whole thing. Uh, it's also just meant to be emotionally straining. I think. Like, there's no parts of Colleen Hoover's writing where I think, oh, I'm a bit relaxed now, or <laughs> I can finally, you know, right. chill for a bit. Like, she's very, she makes it emotionally draining. If you guys have watched, um... You? Are you going to say you? No. What's that okay. show where you just cry every episode? Hold up. Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So true, Karen. <laughs> so yeah, thank true. you. But the one with Mandy Moore and um Oh, this is us. This is us. Oh. Where like you're meant to just bawl your eyes out all the time or oh just be sad. Like the intention behind it is misery. Like it's very, very deep stuff, but also it means that you can't have a, a an enjoyable or a relaxed time. You're just and you're signing up for sadness. And maybe, I think maybe you guys have, have hit on something. I maybe wasn't in the right mood for it. Mm. Um, I, I, I might give her another try. If I would not walk away from any of her books because of this. Right. Because well, I love to read. Like, I will read anything. Well, Ramya, in your case, for It Ends With Us, how did you approach that book? Like, did you know what you were getting yes, yourself into? because I had read, I think, at least two books by Colleen Hoover. I knew that I had to be in this mindset to pick up any book by her. And, and do you think that helped in your, yes, well, quote-unquote enjoyment, or at least appreciation the under, of it? Yeah, the appreciation of the book, or to be able to say this is what I'm signing up for, made a huge difference, Karen. Now, I think for you, you've also touched on something else, which is just the portrayal of the, the female characters, right? Or the main female characters in this book, and her being, you know, abused, or having to sit with that, or having to sit with the... um. I guess not sacrifices necessarily, but like the trap, you know, feeling trapped, yeah. being trapped. Uh, that that's very uncomfortable for people. And, but, and it's a very real emotion, and yes, I don't want to undercut women who who go through that because that, that's something that happens. And you know, I don't want to. I'm not trying to turn my head or, or what's the word I'm looking for or deny sort of that existence. I just wish there was a way to tell that story without it feeling so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think you're right. You have to feel like you have to feel horrible for the main character's name totally escapes my mm-hmm. I have no idea. My, my brain right now. Um, but, you know, and maybe it's because like I wouldn't put up with that crap for five seconds. It's like, yeah. see ya. Yeah, exactly. Mm, you just can't. And it frustrates. It frustrates me. Mm. It frustrates me. I want to sh- I don't I want to shake her, which is abusive as well. I want to <laughs> take her and say, like, you don't deserve this. You right. are better than this. Right. And just get out. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I talk and we've talked about my favorite book, which is problematic, which is Gone with the Wind. Um, I love that book 
and I've had to ask myself over these last few years, Viciously why did I love that book? Independent so, woman. That's it. Is that yes. she didn't give two craps about what anybody thought about her. Like mm-hmm. she was running a business at a time when she shouldn't. She was like doing tons of things she wasn't supposed to be doing and she didn't care. And that's what I liked about that book. And I wish we could take out all the racism that's in it now and still have that character. Yeah. Um, but you can't. Um, and I, I, I realize, like in thinking about it, I've always been drawn, like Nancy Drew, love those books. She just did her, like read it when I was way too young to be reading it. I was the girl lying on her floor with the nightlight trying to read at like 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock at night. With your my parents always up kept... in the air. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and my parents coming in and going, you're going to need glasses someday. <laughs> they were right. Um, but it's straining my eyes every night because I just couldn't put books down. Um, I had that experience with the good girl's guide to murder. I couldn't put it down. I kept saying, I'm only one more page, only one more page. And just, especially the last half, fantastic. And it's a series. So I'm very excited. I've already got the other two on hold, two more of them on hold in my, uh, in my library queue. Mm. I'd like to back up a little bit on something you mentioned earlier, that a couple of the books in the list you provided us were, or are in the process of being turned into TV shows on Netflix or whatever. I find just generally there seems to be a trend in book writing that books are coming off more and more like bona fide scripts. Like the way books are structured nowadays seem to be much more adjacent to how TV shows are written in the sense that like chapters are much more self-contained. There's a lot more cliffhangers that would work well for um, like episode endings and stuff like that. Have you guys noticed that? it's really funny you say this because when I was reading Good Girl's Guide to Murder, I actually stopped reading it for a few seconds to look up. if it, I'm thinking this is going to make a great TV. I thought movie, but they're actually putting it into a series going like, yeah, I can see 100% what you said. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too many things to compare to, like uh, books turned to TV shows or movies and vice versa because I tend to... Um, go with one medium or have uh, had the experience with one medium and then just check out. Mm, you're really? not too interested to see how they convert no. it into a TV show. Really? Mm. I, I check love out. that aspect. Yeah. That's one of my I, favorite uh, things. I'm I am, way too caught yeah. up yeah. Every I am so single book that I, I read that I find out is turned into a TV show, you I immediately want to go see it. I'm so excited oh, I'm to see it. I'm literally having the opposite reaction. I, I say, it, this is going to be disappointing. This is going to be not done well. I don't know if it makes a difference just because we put a big name behind the director position or the writer position or whatever sometimes it makes a difference to me that the author of the book was involved in the process of the tv side but most often i get turned off and i don't it feels like more often than not the book readers are very unhappy with the adaptation like i'm a big fan of fantasy the Mm -hmm. witcher got turned into tv show garbage (gasps) the wheel of time got turned into a tv show garbage Yeah. Uh, yeah, Game of Thrones got turned into a TV show, but that was obviously incredibly successful. And but here's people the thing: are generally well, happy with it. They're spending millions of dollars on Game of Thrones. Like nobody can touch that budget. And not just that, if there's you, like the great drama of like whether he's going to continue the series or not. You know what I mean? Because it started. I'm still halfway. waiting for that last yeah, that book. Yes, so but something people said about A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the name of the Game of Thrones series, is mm-hmm. that it is written like a TV show. Yes. because George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. was a screenwriter. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. he started writing. You could almost even argue that there was so much in the book that easily could be left out for a successful TV show. You know what I mean? So they I, did. They, yeah, left. they left out they so had much to. Stuff. They had to. So much but, stuff. So if you didn't read the books, 
it's not like you're thinking there's something missing or there's something going on that's weird. Whereas like with the Harry Potter series, I'm watching the movies and I'm going, this is like non-contextual. Like there were so many things that I felt were just ripped out of making the uh, the context feel good. Like the, the actual thing feel full. How often did you read the books before you watched the movies? A lot. A lot. That's the problem. So you really were immersed in those books yeah, yeah, before yeah, you yeah, got yeah. them. I, I thought the it. Harry Potter films were fantastic adaptations. Most people agree with you. Mm. Whereas I was like, I can't even sit through an entire movie. Because if you wow. extract the book from the context, they do like the movie itself is very self-contained and it doesn't rely on information that's in the book that's not yes, provided in the movie. There. That's the biggest problem. Is that and that some books we have. need that kind of mindset to actually create a successful movie adaptation, right? To say, like, you shouldn't have to rely on anything from the books to get the movies to feel, you know, properly done. Yeah, it needs to be able but, to stand on its own. Yes. That's the problem with every Stephen King movie. I love Stephen King. I will yeah. read his books nonstop. But yeah. there's so much that happens internally exactly. in the characters that does not translate exactly. onto the screen at all. Yeah. It's not just situational. It's not just external. Like, there's a thought process, right? Which is, you know, that whole deep conversation yeah. about literary, literary versus TV movies. But, um... Going back to Game of Thrones, because I watched the shows first, I couldn't even read the books. Felt really? the books were long and tedious and so many characters and kept falling asleep. It just felt very long-winded. Whereas, you know, the those spaces were filled with silence and interesting kind of scene choices or music choices, like physical choices in the uh, TV series. Do you prefer to read the book first or watch yeah. the movie TV series first? No. Books first. But if I didn't get Me to the too. books and only got to the TV series, like with The Witcher, I I could have a proper review of it, most likely. Yeah, book first any day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's, there's so much more color. I hate to say it, there's yes. so much more color in the books. There's so much more yeah. that you're... Yeah, I, I words are more powerful, I think, as we sit and talk, um, on paper than they are on screen. Why is that, if do that you think? that makes sense. Because your brain creates the world exactly. for you. You're not being spoon-fed it by somebody else, and your Mm -hmm. brain will always do things 100% more creative. Which is why it's difficult to then go watch a movie, because you've already created the Harry Potter world as it is written in the book, and now you're seeing someone else's interpretation of the Harry Potter world. Well, you can argue that when you listen to an audiobook, that's the same thing is 100%. happening there as opposed to yep. reading it in print because they're giving these characters voices and to- like tonalities oh, that you might Hermione not expect. Hermione and Ron are always Jim Dale's versions of them for me. And so whoever you cast in the movies, they just aren't those characters for me. It's his That's character. really interesting. Yeah. See, that's another transition we need to talk about mm. is audiobook to movie instead yeah. of like print yeah. to movie. Well, interesting. Wow, you guys have my mind's going 100 <laughs> miles at once here. Karen, I have a question for you regarding your reading habits. Um, okay. Okay. There are four elements in books that I think really um, make a difference on your enjoyment of it. Rank these four elements plot setting, character, and writing in um, order of importance to you when it comes to oh, enjoyment of a book. Setting character. Setting's going to be last because a good story can be... I mean, how many times have Shakespeare's stories been retold in different settings? So mm. setting's going to be last. Mm. 
Um, I am tied to, oh, this is a hard one. I'm going to say character first, writing and plot. Because to me, writing, oh, that's hot. Character, writing, and plot. Plot's last. No, setting's last. Oh, setting's last. Because a good character can cover up for weak writing. But they're all kind of tied in, like plot and character. That's not a fair question. I don't know. I don't know. For me, writing number 100%. I will come back to characters. I will put up with bad writing if the characters I love are in it. And I will, I will, I will use Buffy as an example. I will read any of the books that have been done by people, written by people about the Buffy universe. I agree with that. And some of them are not good. Mm -hmm. Good writing is not that important if all the other elements are good. But that's just me. Romeo, what do you think? Struggling, guys. Because I've actually read through books that I've loved, like really, really loved. We're going to talk about Adi LaRue very soon. But this is one of these where just the writing kept me going and going and going. I didn't even realize there was no plot, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, there's a plot. But you yeah, know? that was an issue I had with that book <laughs> well, myself. Well, I recommended it to Jacob, and I was like, oh, I love it. This is one of my favorite books. Don't even candidly review this after, please, because, you know, you're hurting. You're going to hurt me. And then um, he's like, the plot was not really there. And I, I thought back at it, and I'm like, yeah, it's true. It was just like a meandering kind of thing, but the writing was so poetic. And I enjoyed it. Like, it just kept me going. It was, like, a good story. Okay. So, taking that, I'm going to ask you to Lord of the Rings, good books or not? Good books. Uh, this might be a hot take, but I find them somewhat dated in their writing style. Yeah. It's, it feels like you're reading the Bible. Like, it, it feels old. <laughs> yes. It feels... It, it's just it's not, not very contemporary. Old. It is. It was from the 20th century. Like, you wrote them in the ni- 1900s. Like, imagine it's reading not- fantasy now. With today's language, yeah, it's oh, completely true. different. It's when you when you read it and compared to like the fantasy like landscape now, that's true. it's completely different. Yeah, yeah. I, I I found them meandering, which I can always argue. I, I didn't hate them. I wouldn't go back and reread them. I know there's people who exactly. will read them once a year. So yeah. this is I'm glad I read them. When you read books as adults that are meant to be classics, or you know. just known literature that everybody should read or whatever, right? That's a problem that I've had where I wish I could get into it. Lord of the Flies. I still haven't completed reading this book. I've said this before and had reactions. I love that book. I know, and everybody says that, but you guys read it as kids or as preteens or as part of a school thing. I have to, as a 30-year-old, pick up Lord of the Flies and try to get through it. I know what happens, but can I appreciate the book now as it was intended when it either first came out or when it was read at a certain stage of your life. Well, the context is different, and that's okay. Yeah. Because you can interpret it differently than when you read it at, like, 15, when you read mm-hmm. it in high school or something like that, or like when you, you read it at 30. what you're expecting It's now, very so different. Is it yeah. going to sit with you the right same way? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting, because when you're a kid and you read it like that, that's amazing. Being on an yeah. island by, like, the first, like, that's incredible. I want to do that. And then as a And also you haven't heard like, about it, you know, for yeah. 30 years. <laughs> like, t- through everyone's reflections and recollections and referencing to pop culture and all of this stuff. Right? It's very I different. Know, I don't know anybody who does rereads of Lord of the Flies, though, now that you mention it. No. Because you already... Because it is dated, yeah, but dated, just because yeah. something is dated doesn't mean we don't read it. It's just mm-hmm. now we read it for academic purposes, exactly. which I think is why we often read them in English classes. Yeah, books like The Great Gatsby and and other older books like uh, 
Um, I'm waiting to see what you call other older books, Jacob. My my arms are crossed. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. Throw out some older books, Jacob. Great Gatsby, that was like the 1920s. I consider that old. Yeah, it is. It is old. Yeah, it is old. I would would accept the Hatcher in the Rye. Yeah. Uh I still love Gone with the Wind. That was written like 1937. That was a good book, though. Moby Dick or Gone with the Wind? Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I I reread that every couple of years. Yeah, same. Yeah. And then I and then I feel bad it, because about myself. Of the, the yeah. journey of the woman, same thing. Yeah, uh, Scarlett's journey is just so fascinating. And you know what you said earlier, Karen, about like she just didn't give a beep about whatever. What <laughs> during a time frame where women had to absolutely like it was part of their entire identity to care about what society thinks of them. Yeah, and like the, there was women a had book. certain yeah women had certain roles to fulfill, mm-hmm. and you weren't supposed to go outside of those. Yeah. And like she saved her family. Yeah, there was zero individualism, zero. And yeah. so for a woman to be as wildly unconventional as she was, or rebellious as Scarlett was during that time, is a just stark contrast. Uh, but then the problematic stuff just yeah, I know. Ugh, I know it bothers me so much. The good comes with the bad, and that's something we want to discuss at a later date on this show, is Mm. books that leave you with strong, mixed feelings, where they're amazing in one aspect, but very lacking in another. And those books... Oh, I've got lists. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They can... Those books can leave you feeling even more strongly about it than books you feel, like, 100% positive about. Yeah. Talk to me about Twilight. The lacked potential, Oh, don't talk to us about Twilight. Oh, okay, thank you. Somebody who maybe (laughs) agrees with me. Awful oh. series. Can I like, say? Don't. It's not a hot don't. take, is it? To say that Twilight sucks. Yes, it's a really hot take. You got to be careful where you say Are that. Are you serious? Yes, because Who there actually are so says ma- it's good though. Exactly. I've never See, heard of anyone thank you. Three out of four. Jacob, the book. Peop- never read people it. People who oh. romanticize hmm. chasing a guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it was Stephen That's King. Our time limit. I think it was Stephen <laughs> King that had a quote where he said, Harry Potter is a story about friendship and how important it is to uh, have friends. And Twilight is about how important it is to have a boyfriend. <laughs> oh, and that is, why, that is why he is my favorite person ever. <laughs> Stephen King, you go, man. I'm paraphrasing, God? but yeah. <laughs> yeah but but he, we got to get the proper quote because that's good. He, he is such a good follow on Twitter. He is amazing. Is he? I... I oh everything he says I will re- is gems. if that man wrote a grocery list on a napkin <laughs> yes. I would read it. Yeah, he's not afraid to talk crap about any other oh, author. No. <laughs> he's a savage. No, no seriously, and have he, you guys read he... on writing like his guide to better writing? No, it is no. epic. You must. I, it was a uh, Greg David recommendation. Shout mm. out to another really? colleague here. Yes, Love him. so good, very digestible, absolutely hilarious. Like he's. You're not I just thought it'd be more like a read. textbook. No. It was more like a textbook. No, it is totally okay. not a textbook. I promise you. I will just go add that, in. I will add that to the stack of books on my bedside yeah. table, which is like three feet tall right now. But it's Stephen King, man. Priorities. He's so good. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. now that we're done fangirling. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. I'm going to leave you with one thing. Um, I saw a meme the other day that I thought was appropriate for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, tour guide giving a tour of the town where Shakespeare was born and was standing outside of Shakespeare, where Shakespeare probably went to school, and said, this is where Shakespeare went to school. It was probably a lot easier for Shakespeare because he didn't have to study Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love it, too. <laughs> and I love that I have a place to use it. I know. <laughs> I love that you thought of that and said, we're bringing it here. Amazing. You're the best. Thanks, Karen. Always a pleasure, guys. Anytime when you guys have that discussion about books that are problematic, bring me on. Yep.
Cheers. That was Karen McGee, content development specialist at AMI. Stick with us after the break. We'll be discussing with another avid reader, Jenny Bovert of the Love Your Moments podcast. We'll be right back. You're listening to the AMI Audiobook Review. Welcome back to the AMI Audiobook Review. I'm Jacob Shamansky, and with me is Ramya Amuthan and our second avid reader of the episode, Jenny Bovard of the Low Vision Moments podcast, which I had the pleasure to be the technical producer for quite a while. I don't even know if you remember that, Jenny. Of course I remember that. (laughs) We never spoke to each other. You just tossed me files and I did what I do. Oh, I guess he doesn't need to talk to leave an impression, though. Jacob, you were one of the magicians behind the scenes and very much appreciated. Mm, of course. No, we've, uh, for this episode, we've um, opened up the floor for just simple conversations on uh, what have you been reading. And we've talked to Karen McGee before the break. Uh, but there's no need to uh, turn ourselves into knots and come up with some sort of galaxy brain question. Jenny, what have you been reading? This is a good question because my reading taste is all over the place. Currently, though, I am reading I Heard You Paint Houses. Have you heard of the movie The Irishman? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Starring Mr. De Niro. This is the book that inspired the film. And in my experience, the book is always better than the film. I have yet to come across a scenario where the film is better than the book, although there are some books I need to read to compare to the film. Anyway, I digress. I'm currently reading I Heard You Paint Houses. It's by uh, what is the author's name? Charles Brandt. So it's all about Frank the Irishman and his experience with sort of inadvertently involving himself in the world of organized crime during the days of Jimmy Hoffa and the Teamsters. And it is a, it's it's incredible in the way that it is both historical, which I love, it's based in fact, and it's got all that, you know, all of that organized crime sensationalism. It Mm. certainly doesn't glorify organized crime in any way. I should put that out there. But it is just like having a really good conversation with the man himself, Frank the Irishman. And obviously, it's an unusual thing for a person of Irish descent to have been welcomed into such an organization. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting read. I put it down for a bit because it is one of these books where you really need to be paying attention. And I'm the type of person where I tend to multitask when I'm reading uh, my audiobooks. So I'm, I don't know, a good chunk of chapter, chunk, chunk of the way through. I've got a couple of chapters under my belt. Now, you say that it's a conversation with the main character, the Irishman. What do you mean by that? Is it literally like a dialogue? It's essentially, the book is, yeah, it's difficult to describe because it's kind of formatted in a way that I've not really experienced many times in a book before. So the book is essentially documented conversations with this man, Frank, the Irishman Sheeran. And it is very detailed. And you can tell that this is just a man rambling in his armchair near the end of his life. He is detailed (laughs) and he is just 
it, it, it's really immersive. It is him telling a story that he's like been dying to tell. Is it a story that's told like retroactively? Like it's, he talks about things he's done far in the past. Yes. So Frank is near the end of his life when, uh, when the author Charles comes to talk with him. And really the aim of the conversation, like many conversations that many other writers and I believe journalists have had with Frank leading up to this book, everyone's trying to get him to talk about what happened to Mm -hmm. Jimmy Hoffa. Because we all Mm want to know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Even Hoffa's children don't know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. One of his kids became, she got into uh, law and through her career tried to unravel the mystery. But this conversation, the end goal, my understanding was for the author to try and get him to talk, to try and give us the details on what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Because the thought is that Frank the Irishman was in some way involved with the demise, with the taking care of, of Jimmy Hoffa. I heard you paint. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you about the title. Do you know what I heard you paint houses means? Mm-mm. I probably should have started with that. Sounds I heard like you paint houses. Right. Right. Painting houses refers to taking care of someone, making them disappear. And then I learned something oh. in this book as well. <laughs> You're going to love this, guys. <laughs> I'm getting real dark real quickly. The other uh, piece that I learned was that, so in this type of organization, if you paint houses, you're someone who takes care of people. And if you also do your own carpentry, that means that you also take care of what happens to the person after they've been taken care of. I don't know how to say it lightly. Uh, (laughs) They get rid of the body. They hide the body. I would assume that those two went hand in hand though, no? What's the other version? You take care of the person and then somebody else takes care of the person after... Yeah, you get a cleaner. <laughs> you get a cleaner. I don't know. I don't have these. I don't... <laughs> see? These... This is lingo. Yeah, I'm just saying, if anybody knows here, it's you, Jenny. <laughs> right. Out of the three of us. I mean... I think a lot of times, yes, because there's a hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. There's often like a hierarchy in, the, in these kinds of organizations. So just because you do the damage doesn't necessarily mean you do the cleanup. True. Are you generally a big fan of this genre, like crime fiction? (laughs) Yes. I love a good organized crime book and preferably nonfiction. I've read Black Mass, which is about Whitey Bulger. I I love this genre. And especially if it's if it's something that is sort of removed from the present, I'd like to read about things that happened in the past because then it's easier for me to go about my day and and not feel scared and worried that these things are still going on. Although, certainly, to an extent, they are. Mm. What did you mean then when you said your taste in books are all over the place? Like, what is... uh, Is it that you think that the stuff that you read is atypical or what? I wouldn't call myself an avid reader. Thank you for introducing me as such, though. In the last seven years, yeah. It's a formality. Yeah. Prerequisite to be on. Sorry, I flubbed my application a little bit. <laughs> we never usually ask, we just assume. Yeah. <laughs> now, I didn't realize that I should have known because people say my taste in other things is a little quirky or a little off the wall, a little different. But I think it was in one of our exchanges, Ramia, when you said something about my selections being a little quirky. And I was like, damn it, 
even this is quick. <laughs> you thought this was the exception. <laughs> I thought I was normal in this realm, <laughs> but I don't do a lot of fiction. It takes a lot for me. So I want, I gravitate towards books that are going to teach me something. I want to learn something. But the other big thing I look for is I want to either like be made uncomfortable. I want to be, uh. I want to be subjected to something. I want you to take me to an uncomfortable place or subject me to something that in real life, it would be traumatic, but in a book, it's exciting. And I'm, I think I'm probably similar with movies and podcasts. So I like this sort of crime, historical crime novel. I really like journals and memoirs of people who have like been through some stuff, really enjoy that sort of genre as well. But when I do get into fiction, I like like science fiction and, and fantasy and some self-helpy type books as well. There are a few of those mixed in there too. So we talked about um, this book. I heard you paint houses, even though I was not, well, I wanted to talk about another book is what I'm trying to say. Um, one that you have read already. When did you read Brain on Fire? I read Brain on Fire probably close to seven years ago now. And I should preface this next thing by saying that I'm a bit of an ice queen. So I seek out these books that are, you know, subjective and, and, and uncomfortable at times. What is an ice queen? Yeah. So let me explain. It's a, (laughs) it's a name my sister lovingly has given me because (laughs) I don't get emotional Easily. I don't cry at movies. I don't cry at when someone's giving a heartfelt speech at a family event. I'm the least likely to be crying. Mm. I cry when I get frustrated or mad or upset with myself. So this book though, Brain on Fire, really like shook my existence. Like I really felt for the author. Her name is Susanna Callahan. And the book chronicles her experience with a form of encephalitis. And it is just such a whirlwind of experiences that I can't even imagine myself being in. But it shook me because I think she's such a, she's so adept at explaining her experiences and her writing style. She worked for the New York Post before she wrote this book, before she had this experience. And I think that that's very telling. Like it's a writer who had this wild life experience, this life-changing experience. And what better to do with that than to write a book about it? And she did good. And what's the short version of the experience that she had? Yeah. Spoiler free, if possible. I'm going to try my best to be spoiler free. But Susanna is, so she's a young woman in her early 20s, I believe, when this starts taking place. She's sort of, you know, like living a great young person's life. She's got this great job with the New York Post that she loves. She's got a boyfriend, an apartment. She's loving life, living life. And all of a sudden she starts having these really scary episodes and she doesn't know what's happening to her. And not only are the people around her like at work and at home, they're explaining how she's behaving when these 
episodes are happening, but they, I don't want to spoil anything, mm. but she, she doesn't really understand what's happening herself to herself. So she's being told, Hey, you came in here and behaved totally off the wall. You were like totally not yourself. Something is going on. And, and she it, can't connect it. That's right. Mm. And so she goes through this process of trying to be, trying to get a diagnosis, trying to get help. The people in her life insist that she go in and try to get help. And not that, it's not that the healthcare professionals, they, they do want to help. She sees a number of healthcare professionals, but there's one hero in the form of a doctor that sort of makes all of the right connections and helps her out in the end. But the trials to get through that, like it is just, it it's, it's very, one thing for me that was difficult to read was that it, it, it would have been easy for her to fall through the cracks. Yep. It would have been easy for her to be misdiagnosed mm. and wind up institutionalized or otherwise improperly medicated. Right, and like lived a narrowly her, right. missed tragedy. Right? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So this book has everything. It's got a hero in the form of a doctor and it's got just these these experiences with the medical system that mm. I I would never want to endure. But it was very eye-opening in that sense. Speaking of eye-opening, like imagine having to recall and gather information around this experience to then write about it in full form. Because you're saying the experience for her uh, had a lot of holes, right? Like she had no idea what was going on. She could barely connect it back to herself right. being this person that people are describing. So having to revisit all of that after knowing this is what is happening with you, that must have been a process. Right. I can only imagine. There are so many things in my life that I do not wish to revisit. Mm. But the process of writing this book, one of the impressive things is as well, she had to go and interview and discuss yep. the, all of these incidents with the people in her life. Exactly. So the research that would have gone into it, I can't imagine how trying that piece alone was. The people in her life that she more than likely subjected to some really uncomfortable yes. situations with her erratic behavior. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. You know, this book reminds me of a TV show that used to be on TLC called Mystery Diagnosis, where every episode is just somebody that has some sort of one in a million condition. And it's basically their journey to finding a diagnosis for, for their condition and they go through the medical system and it's really uncomfortable. Mm. It sounds like this book is basically an episode of that show. I think it's, it, it is. I've seen that show. Love that show. It's addicting, eh? A little bit of a guilty pleasure, yeah, I think. Thank yeah. you for it's bringing it It's kind of trash TV, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It's, it's, um, it, it is just like that. And this was actually made into a movie as well. I haven't seen it. But I think 2016, a movie was made about this. Read the book first. It's definitely yeah, worth reading by the Netflix. book first. That's right. Jenny, um, you told me in a conversation we had, can't remember when, that you picked up running, which a lot of us know that you love to do, uh, just in context through your podcast and such. Because um, I never shut up about it, let's be honest. <laughs> you said it, not me. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, that's a hobby but it was a hobby 
that you picked up later, in my, in my opinion, you know, you didn't pick it up as a kid. Um, do you read about it? Was there some part that books played into you picking up running or physical activity or any of this stuff? Not really. No. Um, what got me into running was, well, there were a lot of different things that contributed to it, but I was seeing a lot of people who were in their later years in life. I was seeing a lot of them being really active when I worked at a public pool in an admin type role. And I was seeing all these people in like their eighties and nineties coming in and swimming their hearts out. And I was thinking to myself, I need to get my act together. <laughs> uh, that was part of it. Another part was I wanted to be a good goalball player and through Blind Sports Nova Scotia, we always do the annual fundraiser that is the Blue Nose Marathon. So once I did that, I was just hooked. The endorphins and all the good feelings that come when you cross the finish line, yep. that's kind of what got me hooked. But books do inspire me to want to do outlandish things. I'm really into books about long distance hiking and books about like long distance traveling and that's so specific i I know it's uh, okay i'm about to be really basic don't tease me the book that started it all was wild by cheryl Strait. Mm. it's been one of oprah's favorites (laughs) i'm not usually big on the oprah (laughs) list shouting out oprah okay No, I'm not usually big on the Oprah's reading list, but Wild by Cheryl Strayed, also made into a movie later on. Book is way better. I keep saying that. Mm, there's but a theme. That's what started it for me. And then I just could and and then I just I got this wild idea that I it makes me want to try these things. But I'm kind of like that in my life where I see someone doing something fun and I'm like, I gotta give that a try. Right. Let me try that out. So I you? would probably no. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so you love trying things you've seen in books, but you're really into mm-hmm. crime fiction. I don't know. I'm just putting one and two together. <laughs> but I also really like things like Lord of the Rings and you know, A Song of Ice and Fire. So I there's you know. You take what you will from different things that you read. But I have read so many books about long distance hiking and like solo travel that I've I've got all these secret plans in my mind that I'm planning out for when I have lots of time on my hands. You actually have, because we asked you for, you know, recent read recommendations and a couple of the titles from your recent read list were self-development. And that kind of thing. So, I mean, Nisreen and I in past episodes of AR have talked a lot about self-development books um, and, you know, kind of just like the open-mindedness towards it. But also there's a little bit of like, wow, everything is self-help or everything can be self-help these days. And, you know, how much are we actually getting out of it versus it's uh, big on social media, you know, taking, what is it called? Atomic habits, right? That kind of thing. Um, Do you... What makes you want to read a particular self-development type book? Is it a recommendation or do you just go find it? Is it something that you try to work on and you're like, I need to find a book? I don't normally seek them out Hmm. based on what's going on in my life, which is not a bad thing to keep in mind. Maybe I should do more of that. I come across books in many different ways. One that I read recently called Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. It's by Whitney Goodman. 
she started on social media. So you're absolutely right about that part. It is everywhere. I don't even know where I heard about this book. I think it, I might've seen it in, I think I might've seen it on a list somewhere, like a top 10 type list. Mm. And I thought this title speaks to me. Let's see what we've got. And this book was such a nice balance between really being realistic about our day-to-day lives and actually giving helpful tools to deal with what's labeled as toxic positivity. Things like good vibes only don't always fly. You know, I don't want to hear it could be worse. And it talks about right? (laughs) It talks about tangible ways of dealing with all this messaging that's always coming at us. So it's got to be really practical for me. And the other thing that gets me reading these sort of self-development, you know, personal development type books is, um, is in my, in my day job, I'm a mentor for students, for children and youth who are blind or visually impaired. Mm. So sometimes if I see something that's about, uh, that leans a little more towards child development and and education, sometimes I'll lean into those a little bit for work as of well. Of course, yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I was, as you were pointing out these phrases, hashtag whatever, uh, that's what I was thinking, right? Like that trigger factor of, uh, as people with disabilities hearing something like it could be worse, it's just awful. It's not helpful. And that's what this book addresses, Toxic Positivity. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. It's a really good read. So we have a pretty good idea what kind of genres you're into now. What kind of genres do you not like? Mm. What are those genres that you avoid at all costs? Romance. Uh, I get enough. I get enough in real life. Amazing. (laughs) With Karen McGee, we got into the romance. Or did we? Maybe that was an offline conversation. It's all blurring together now, Jay. I don't think we got into that round. Okay. All right. Why not romance? <laughs> well, I'm not, look, I won't, I'm not judging. By it. I used to work at SELA. I loved talking books and hearing about different people's interests. And romance is all some people read. That's great. I am all about escapism. I am all about living vicariously. But I just can't. It's the same with movies. I don't like the fluffy, romantic movies. I like real stuff. And I think that translates into books as well. Uh, But on the flip side, I really like that sci-fi and fantasy. So I don't don't know. I feel like I get enough romance in my real life. I'm just going to leave it at that. That's that's nice. (laughs) Shout out to my husband. Uh, also, you talked about multitasking and how you need to really put down the other stuff to read certain kinds of books. Are there any um, weird things you do while listening to audiobooks? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do, Jenny? Tell us. Sounds like you got lots of weird stuff going yeah. on over there. <laughs> this is the show to, to finally come out and tell You have us. the platform. Go ahead. <laughs> I do everything while reading. I practice yoga. I lift weights. I might be cleaning the cat box. I might be walking my dog. Anything and everything, I will try to multitask. Do you I don't ever know pretend if any like you're of those listening are to weird. a conversation around you, but you're actually um, 
bobbing in earphones and listening to an audio <laughs> No. Really? No, but I'll oh. tell you, I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. I don't know how dirty it is, but Ooh. it's a little secret I haven't told. <laughs> when I did used to listen to audiobooks in church. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, no. I used to go to Catholic church. I did the whole catechism thing. And when high school rolled around, I was like, I am over this. And I would pop in my earbuds. Ooh. That's worse I don't than even some know people if they watching were earbuds back funerals, then. I think it was the Bible, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that's what I told them. I'm going to hell. Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh my God, Jenny, this was so much fun. That was Jenny Bovar, the Ice Queen, host of the Love Jamomas podcast on AMI Audio. That's it for this week's episode of AMI Audiobook Review. Next week, we have our monthly audiobook check-in with audiobook worm, Amir Khan. I don't think he's going to uh, argue about being an avid audiobook listener. We're reviewing The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwabs, which I have now spread around like wildfire. Like, I've really just told everyone to read it. I think your entire friends group read it. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the latest and the last, so we're going to have to do a formal review on yeah, that. Yeah, I have thoughts. <laughs> so do I. I'm your host, Ramia Amadin, with co-host Jacob Shymansky, technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. This is AMI Audiobook Review, and until next week, happy audiobook listening. I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.